We're we're on. Welcome back to the Gentleman's Dojo. There is an air in this room today in studio. It doesn't feel as heavy. It feels nice. There's a fun vibe There's here. A comfortability. That voice is the difference. Thank you. Your your name is I'm Gareth Reynolds, not Gary Cannon. Thank God. From the dollop. Great podcast right. and point. Point versus point. Versus point. You're a fan. <laughs> I know all your credits. I know all your credits. Uh, the wonderful Gareth Reynolds, who I have the pleasure of working with on the road. Who Thank you for most people me. know this t- this comedy tandem from the Real Wedding Crashers. Well, you don't even need to call it out. People hear us together and they go, "Uh oh, look out, weddings! The Crashers are back!" <laughs> you know, they know right away. Not the, the movie, the show on NBC that lasted now, th- four episodes. There was a movie. Because I was... always, I always forget if there was a movie, the the Wedding Crashers, because everyone just remembers the NBC reality prank show. Uh, that we did. <laughs> Every, that's yeah. You, nobody remembers the movie. Uh, thank you for sitting in today with us because thank you for Gary me. Cannon is uh, in New York City, uh, warming up for the Conan Conan O'Brien program. Oh right, at the Apollo. Uh, at the Apollo. That's great. So Gary's out of town, and it feels good. Ah, uh, you it must feel great. relief right now. It just <laughs> feels. Just... I feel like uh, you're a headliner for a show. I feel like Angela Bassett. <laughs> Yeah. With, that, with that movie where I got my groove back. Yeah. yeah. I burned Gary's clothes. Stevie got his groove back. <laughs> Stevie got his... <laughs> I feel free. Yeah. Look, I can eat whatever I want. I'm smiling. I'm happy again. Do you, boo. <laughs> Do, Do you. you. <laughs> okay. I'm going to adopt a few cats. I'm going to get some vino tonight and just chillax yeah. as only I do. It feels good. Yeah. This, this is how you must feel every day. Yeah, no, podcasts are supposed to be fun, and you're supposed to enjoy them and, yeah. uh, you know, do them with your friends. And, you know, uh, I'm a fan of your podcast. I okay. love what happens. But I would imagine as <laughs> as a, a co-host with Gary, it's uh, definitely got to be stressful. Uh, how's your cat, Jose? He's good. He's okay. uh, fat. He's good. He's Mexican. He's happy. Is it actually a Mexican cat or just a cat with a Mexican name? Is there a Mexican cat? Are there? Uh, no, there I just no. He came the with Chihuahua? the name Jose. Uh, well, no, there's. Is not that a, a Mexican dog? Cat. I don't know. That no, I think Chihuahuas. Chihuahuas are, are dogs yeah, that are of Mexican descent. I, I, yeah, of Mexican. Yes, I think there is affiliation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't, I don't think we've invented that. Or maybe Taco Bell did. I think Taco Bell's the one that started. Then George Lopez did that movie, right? Beverly Hills Chihuahuas. Well, wow. you, I'm. You went to the premiere. I did, I did, and uh, what a red carpet uh, Beverly Hills Chihuahua was. I mean, the press was going apeshit. Uh... <laughs> the fever pitch. Uh, so, Gareth Reynolds, thank you for sitting in with us today. Knock on wood, I had correspondence with a director named Matt Whitecross out of the UK who directed a documentary on my favorite band of all time, Oasis. It just came out. It's called Supersonic. It is on iTunes now. You can download it. You can rent it. It is phenomenal. If you just wanted to watch something that encapsulated music, I believe, in the late 90s or early 90s, I guess, uh, going into the 2000s, Oasis is just branded as a film of the 90s. What is your favorite recollection? Because you have English roots. Well, yeah. that I think that was the thing, the thing was like when I would go to England... Like the Oasis, like you know, Oasis was such a fucking huge band in England. I mean, it really was just like the biggest 
It was ins- it was this like the group that you you would just sing their songs walking back from the pub like you know trash yeah like they were just such and it really was I mean it was like the Beatles in England I mean they were so big yeah they were um but yeah I mean it was such a you know they were they were fascinating but to anybody <laughs> who who's young enough that doesn't remember it's like how do you even I don't think that it's fair to make a a correlation between anybody present day to what it was. Well, there was something so interesting about how Oasis was like were so open about how they were chasing the Beatles, and then there were all these fractures within, you know, uh, Neil, like Liam and Noel, like the two all brothers. Of, yeah, like the the Gallagher brothers. There was so much insane friction. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of like it, the internet was aroundish, but it was still a very it was like viral, like watching Oasis's sort of feuds and... Yeah, it was like viral before things were able to go viral ju- because I don't yeah. think in 94, when Definitely Maybe came out... I was in chat rooms. I was putting... In 94? No, I wasn't. Oh. <laughs> Actual chat rooms. Young man looking to, to lose virginity. Yeah, how you doing? But it was actually just a room. You'd be like, this is awkward. <laughs> you at the VFW? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um... What is your favorite memory associated with Oasis? Then be, being English, I'm sure you... I, well, I think the thing that had... When they did an Unplugged, that was what was really fascinating to me. Like, that was, I think, the moment where I was like, what is going on? You know? Yeah. Because they were, they were going to do MTV Unplugged, where a band would just sort of play an aco- acoustic versions of their songs, and the whole week sort of publicly playing out on MTV when they used to play music. Yeah. The whole week leading up to it, there was this drama. And, and Unplugged then, at the time was a pretty big deal. Huge deal. It was like deal. Nirvana Unplugged. Yeah. It's like, who else is going to strip it down? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and then you found out that the day of Unplugged, uh, Liam was unable to do Unplugged because he was sick. So Noel was going to do it instead. And Noel was great, yeah. and Liam was there drinking and smoking and shouting. And heckling at his brother, which is <laughs> like... his band! Yeah. I mean, it's insane. Heckling. Heckling his band. While he's drinking. Not like home, Dude. sipping hot tea, getting the voice no. back in shape, just like, you fucking suck. And he's like, shut up, would you shut the fuck up? A he, little support. He did everything but sing. Like, he showed up to the venue in clothes, ready to perform. Yeah. And then he just was like, nah, watch. <laughs> yeah. You know. Well, that's What that's, about you? But you you I mean you are like I love Oasis, but you are I would say in college a little obsessed cuz it was just like I'd never heard anything like it before. And these songs were so catchy and they were so fun and so I guess going to like those Irish melancholic roots is what right. really drew me in and I just loved it and it was like I was never a club guy. I never liked hip hop. I hated grunge. I never got into like Nirvana, where it's like this shit's depressing, and it's like I don't. It's like angry and a little aggressive. And then Oasis just came out. It was like a breath of fresh air. It was like finally something I can go to a pub and play in a jukebox and just hang and and enjoy it. And I remember I I loved the band so much. I got Morning Glory first, and this girl I was dating at the time asked to borrow it, so I gave it to her. And I went through withdrawals, and within one day, I went and bought it again. You did? <laughs> it's like, fucking, cr- I was just, just keep it. I got another one. It's like, what? Yeah, um, keep it. I have a few more. I got extras now, just in case this happens again. But to me, it reminded me of, like, college. But then it was like, they had all these, this is like before, again, the internet, where there were, like, B-sides that were just as good, if not better, than anything 
on the album, and then you could go back to definitely maybe. It's like, wait, there's another album of great tunes? And it was always like this fun exploration at the time, too, of like going to the CD store and finding this Japanese import and doing the work and investing in the band. And I don't know, it was like some adventure to it, too, which was a lot of fun. Well, there's something, I mean, there, it's almost kind of like that is the era, the last gasp, really, of when music was something you'd go to the store and buy in a way. So there yeah. was something sneaky you could do if you were a band like that, where you could put, you know, you could put weird B-sides out, or you could put, like, vinyl albums out, and it would only have certain songs on it and stuff yeah. like that. But, you know, that is sort of lost now, <laughs> in a way. But that's what good music does, is it, encap it encapsulates that era for you that you that you love, you know? Yeah, I, well, look, it you invest you in the band that you like back then. Yeah, it's like you actually went to the store. It was a priority for you to go to the store, get twelve or fourteen dollars, which is a big deal to a kid at that time, especially yeah. a college kid, and plunk it down and say, "I'm buying this." Or twenty-two bucks for a Japanese import is like, I can't believe I'm spending this money, but yeah. it's got to be great. It's <laughs> got to be cheaper to go to awesome. Japan and get this. <laughs> now, how great is it going to be if this guy doesn't call in? And well, look, just, and we're just there talking is about a possibility. <laughs> he's probably not calling in. I mean, it's nine. It's it's present time. This is a podcast. Yeah. We don't talk about what time it is. Yeah. Oh, right. Um, right. Let me see it's now. It's either traffic, breakfast, the middle of the night. You're in jail, or you're Gary. <laughs> Hopefully, you're in jail over being Gary. Well, the one thing I will say about Oasis that I do really appreciate is that it's it's the one band I ever listened to that was just as entertaining off stage or without the CD player, without listening to them, buying interviews, reading the interviews, reading about them. That I, I, I've never come across a band where there was a mystique that came along with them. Like, I love the Killers. I don't know anything about the Killers. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. I love, you know, certain bands. I, I don't know anything about them. There's no folklore to them. There's no reputation to them. It's just like, oh, I like the tunes. Yeah. That is so true. And, and how funny Noel is. <laughs> Could Noel, be a stand-up right you, now. I mean, you really, I, I mean, you you are always showing me like Noel Gallagher videos, but he is, he could be a, a comedian. There are guys that do other, th that you see right away and you're like, that guy could be a comic. He could absolutely be a comic. He encapsulates what every stand-up comedian, I think, aspires to be. You want to be as raw as possible, as honest as possible, as true to yourself as possible, and funny and self-deprecating too. I mean, Completely. he will he will nail himself as much as anyone else. He he knows that that band got comical at some oh, point. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Know? It became too big and yeah, almost a caricature of themselves as yeah. well. Um, when Liam Gallagher called George Harrison a nipple in the paper, you were like, okay, this is <laughs> things are off the rails a little over here. Yeah, and I think also you throw in that brother element. You know the fact that. The older brother's the drive, the younger brother's along for the ride, yeah. but is more charismatic and all that stuff. And, yeah. uh, you know, I think my brother and I have very similar relationship in terms of fighting. Yeah. I, I don't that's, know. How, that's you and your true. brother is... is we the... have a big age gap. We're like 12 years apart. So oh, okay. there, are, there have been incidents, but uh, nothing where it was like, like that. I, I yeah. think that's really true. You and your brother are definitely... <laughs> You're Gallagher. Ooh. You guys used to be Gallagher-y. Yeah, and yeah. I don't. I'm not talking about smashing fruit. Well, well, I think it's safe to say he's not calling it. <laughs> all right, <laughs> but it is a great documentary. Yeah, you didn't say it. <laughs> it truly, it truly, 
It's great because I think like, you know, I will just talk for a minute about it. And um, let me text Gary that he can call in if he wants to. But like, like I didn't think I could love Oasis anymore. Oh boy. I didn't think I could appreciate them anymore. And then this film, I've read, I have a stack of Q and NME magazines back at home. Uh-huh. I have almost like every interview they've done. I've got all the singles, all the beasts, all what that What if that stuff. just took a weird turn where you were just like, I mean, I'm talking about a garage full of magazines <laughs> and bunnies that I just, I won't let anyone into it. <laughs> but I, it's just like, what more can I learn about them? Yeah. And then you watch this thing and, and there's so much more endearing and you really do appreciate the work and the camaraderie and also the appreciation the, the appreciation that they have for the fans because it's like yeah we did Nebworth there were 2.6 million people that signed up for tickets but he's like you know everybody puts the praise upon us but it's like what if 2.6 people didn't sign up for the tickets yeah. then it's fucking nothing and yeah. it, I, I think that there was a uh, I, I think there was some humility which is odd to see from a band as arrogant as Oasis is yeah, but there uh, was. Yeah, but I think you're right. There is, there is. That's why they're very likable. Like Noel is so likable. You watch him interviewed. Yeah, like a, you like him. Well, here's the thing that I always loved about him, is that they're blue collar guys. Oh yeah. Hey, uh, Matt. Hello. Hi, this is Steve. This is Steve. What's up, buddy? We were just. How you doing? This is Matt. Yeah, of so course, buddy. Mate. Thank you, you right. so much. I was, we were just singing your praises. My buddy Gareth Reynolds, another great comedian here in the States. Hi, Matt. We are on. Hi. How you doing? Good singing morning. your praises. I watched the bonus features. I watched your interview. And I just want to say congratulations from, I know, an Uber fan like myself to you as well. Thank you so much. It's so sweet of you. Thank you so much for taking I'm the so time. I'm you like the film. Uh, incredible. I mean... I was just telling Gareth here that, you know, I, I got a stack of Q magazines, enemy, read every interview, still have them, huge fan. And I don't think, it's like, what more can I learn? I've read everything about him. And then you watch this film, and it just peels back the curtain and makes these guys who come off as arrogant kind of rock stars, you, you really empathize with them and you, you understand the eye of the hurricane so much more. What... You know, and I understand you have, there's so many questions I want to ask you, but you had a seven-hour cut. How difficult was it to go from seven hours to the two hours that you did and just realize, let's start at Nebworth, let's end at Nebworth, and was it to end on a high note and appreciate the band that way? What is the thought process? Well, I mean, yeah, getting down for, I think the first cut was like seven or eight hours long. It was really an assembly, but it was always uh, the idea to start with Nebworth and end with Nebworth. So it wasn't even like with the eight-hour cut we got to 2009 when they split up. It was really still Nebworth, just more scenes. And um, and it was, oh, it was it was horrible. It was like a nightmare trying to cut it down. And we finally got it down to a length that felt pretty good, but it was three hours. It was an hour longer than we were allowed. And then it kind of concertinaed. It would go down to two hours and come back up to three, then two, then three. And it was really hard, and as I'm sure fans like yourself would know the areas that we missed, some of the big areas that we missed, and it was it was not easy. You know, it was one of those things where there were various different considerations. Sometimes it's just that you don't have the footage. Sometimes it feels like the, the topic has been covered so extensively in the past that what are we going to add to it, that sort of thing. But, um, yeah, it wasn't easy, and it was one of those things when I, I met uh, Noel the first time, and he said, 
what is this film? And I hadn't really even officially come on board, so I didn't really know myself, but <laughs> he'd spoken about Nebworth so eloquently, and, and he said we had all this footage that no one's ever seen before, which is kind of unheard of for such a big gig. You know, that I think in this day and age, the second you make a film of anything, the, same, the second you make a gig, the next day it's going to be out online, it's going to be on TV, and they've sat on it for 20 years. So I think that seemed to be the focus of everyone's attention. And I just said, well, why don't we start and end with it? Just because it feels to me like the early days in a, in a band's life are the most interesting. And, and that's when they're unique. But particularly with, uh, with Oasis, where they're just one of those bands where it happened to them so quickly and so intensely. It feels like, well, let's look at the beginning. Then maybe, you know, one day someone will make another film about the next bit. But for me, that was an exciting moment. And how did you get involved as a film, uh, as a film director? How, how did you come into the fray? I knew uh, Simon Halfon, who was one of the producers. I'd met him a long time ago. I did a film called Sex, Drugs and Rock and Roll about uh, the rocker Ian Jury. And, right. um, I, and so I'd made this film and he came to me and said he wanted to do a film about The Clash. And it was great and it was a really great script. But the timing was really bad for me. I'd written a uh, film about my dad and uh, it was one of these films I really wanted to make and it just kind of had to be then. So I, I, we kind of moved on and, and he said, look, we'll find something else to do but you know you know what it's like that's kind of what everyone says when they're fobbing you off they're like yeah get out of my life but actually <laughs> he kept on you know he'd call every couple of years and it's like you know we should do something else and then he just texted me i think or emailed me out the blue just over a year ago saying do you like oasis and i didn't at that point i had no clue about whether they were getting back together i thought maybe i was excited that it could be a reunion and then and then <laughs> no, he said well, when we actually finally met just before i or no, he said, uh, no, no, this is something to do with the past, but we don't really know what it's going to be. So I guess partly, you know, I've done a few music things. Um, I've done music videos and I've got some background in that. And I guess I've, well, I've been lucky enough to be able to straddle doing documentaries and going into drama. So you've got that kind of side of, uh, in terms of your work in the past. So I guess that's where they came to me. Right. But, you know, I, I, he didn't, there was no reason to suspect that I was particularly an Oasis fan, just other than most people who live in, this country and grew up around that time, probably Oasis fans. Now, I got to ask you, the one thing I do love about the doc that that is, you know, you just don't see it in too many documentaries these days, is a lot of documentaries are talking heads recollecting upon that event or whatever the occurrence was. And this, you never see them other than from the clips. And I think it, it, it almost made you appreciate what was going on on the screen with the visuals that much more. What went behind the decision to not film them talking about it and do these great visuals or these great animations? What was the thought process in making that decision? Well, we were kind of talking about what film we might want to make uh, in the early days. And the very first time I met Noel, he said, look, I just don't want this to feel like some exercise in nostalgia. I don't want it just to feel like we're sitting there wallowing in the old, good old days because every generation thinks that they were the greatest and everyone thinks their parents didn't know anything and their children don't know anything. It was all about them. Right. And he didn't want it to be, you know, men in their 30s and 40s and 50s talking about the good old days. It should be about, you should kind of feel like you're in the moment and not have anything drawing you out of that. And so I, that, and immediately, well, how can we achieve that? And I think he'd mentioned a couple of documentaries that he didn't like precisely because they then cut to the stock shot of the musician sitting in where a hotel or a studio or somewhere kind of odd and you think well i don't what am, what am i seeing and it draws you out of the narrative a little bit so i like that idea but i did 
I was concerned about it because we didn't necessarily know what footage was going to come in. We didn't know if we were going to be able to sustain that because if you're doing audio-only interviews, what happens when there's no footage? What are you going to do? And, um, and that made sense. And at that point, we still thought we might be getting the two brothers together because it sounded like things were calming down a little bit between them. They'd met a couple of times. But then sure enough, just as we were about to start, it all exploded again. And then we knew that we wouldn't get them together. And actually, I thought, well, okay, well, maybe it's better this way because by doing the audio interviews, I can interview the rest of them. I can ask them the same questions. I can put the answers back to, to the two of them. And so maybe they, we can create this piece of dialogue through us. And so we can control it a little bit more, maybe make something that is more, is more creative and kind of we can enjoy. We can kind of create a dialogue that could never happen in real life where the two of them can speak without killing each other. <laughs> wow, that's <laughs> right, crazy. Yeah. And what was your biggest revelation in terms of, you know, being behind the scenes and talking to both brothers? What is the biggest element of surprise that you got in retrospect after having seen it up on the screen and it's out there in the world now? Well, I suppose, you know, being a fan and obviously having done my research, I it wasn't that it was like a moment of surprise. I suppose I was just pleasantly reminded of the fact that they're very smart, very passionate, very funny people. And I think the danger, certainly in this country, I don't know how they're perceived other, in other countries, but for us over here, there's this caricature of them that's been, um, you know, the, the, the tabloids have perpetuated and maybe they've played up to a little bit, which is that they're, you know, they're kind of leery, they're in your face, they're arrogant, they are. And I think also the tabloids don't think very much of them um, in terms of like, you know, their, their personality. And what I always loved about them growing up is they were so exciting, but they're also very funny, razor sharp. And that also seems to have been lost. And I think also there's that, there's that nature of when you become a big rock and roll beast, you know, you can look at it, any of the bands from the Stones to Oasis to U2, whoever it is, these guys, once you become big, then the urge is always to knock them down and put them back in their place. Right. I think Oasis definitely had that through the years. As the, as the albums and the years went on, everyone was like, who do they think they are? So it was nice to kind of remind them as well of those early years and kind of say, look, maybe it's time to... to Think about those 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 times when they were actually um, they were friends, you know. Because I think that the other thing they'd, they'd forgotten how much love they had for each other. And certainly, when we looked at some of the early footage, and sat, that was one of the first things we did in the interviews. We sat down and we started watching through some of the, the things that had come in, and they both seemed quite quite pleasantly surprised and maybe moved by the footage that came in. Particularly some of those that early footage that's in the film was them behind the scenes at Top of the Pops, about to go in and do their first number one single. Right. And they're really affectionate and tactile and hilarious together and you go well God, what's been lost there's a there's that terrible gulf between where they are now and where they were then you know we were talking prior to you calling in just as, as comedians that noel gallagher literally could go up on stage and become a stand-up comedian because i believe he embodies <laughs> everything a stand-up wants to be where you're completely <laughs> honest you're completely raw you're very opinionated but you're telling and expressing yourself in a very, very humorous way. And the one thing I loved, the one thing that made me laugh the hardest in the film was when he was talking about losing the bass players from Gwigs right. and then to Scott and then just laughing it yeah. off. How much do you think a sense of humor helped the brothers get through that the eye of the storm? Because it seems well, like they have a great, great outlook and, and a very Irish, I guess, way of laughing things off. I think if they were a little more serious, maybe they would have definitely combusted. But how much do you think a sense of humor helped these guys? Uh, I think it was essential. Absolutely. And then, you know, like, like you said, there's a section in the film where Noel just talks about it. He said, 
anyone else would have lost their minds. And we just, our instinct was to laugh at it. And if you can laugh your way through the bad times, you just get through it. Just don't take it too seriously. Yeah. Don't take yourself too seriously. And you, you can take the music seriously and the fans seriously, but never take yourself too seriously. And I think that's the, he said the only time that we ever moved away from that was when we just, we were, we were abusing so, so much cocaine and we got to the point where it was like, well, you start to believe your own hype and then that's when it goes all wrong. But I think the, um, the yeah, the, the nature of that band, and again, that's something that's been lost in this country. I think people have forgotten about them. It's just that everything is a joke. And they, and I think it used to drive people mad. And, you know, the, the, all the suits around them, all the, the music industry types used to go crazy because they really just, they wouldn't take any of the supposed responsibilities seriously. I mean, whether it was in the States <laughs> going over to promote the album and shaking the right people's hands, they wouldn't do any of that. And in this country, you know, they'd just say whatever, they'd, they'd give an honest answer to a, to a question. So if someone asked them about drugs or about their opinion about politicians or their opinion about each other, they, they wouldn't massage the truth. They wouldn't start, they wouldn't soft soak them. And it got them into a huge amount of trouble, but it's very entertaining from the outside. I think it also, that, it's so true because I think that does really endear you to the fans, though. You know, that really makes, as a fan, that makes you be like, yeah, these guys are on my side. These are not guys who are just, you know, doing the song and dance just to make money. They're actually, they do not care. Exactly. Yeah. And also because they looked like everyone in the audience. I think Liam's, uh, his instance, when he, we had a whole section of the early days about him, about where he became inspired by other musicians. And he loved uh, local bands like the Stone Roses because he said they, were, they weren't turning up like a kind of Jim Morrison druid rock god lizard king you know they were just like you and me they were wearing the same clothes the same same sneakers the same same haircut yeah and so it felt like there was a, it was a reflection of the audience there wasn't this kind of this gap between and there wasn't, it wasn't as if you were going there to look at someone who was different from you, you were going there to, to meet someone who's the same well and if you had a unibrow you were like oh my god is here <laughs> yeah exactly but it's so funny that uh, we had another section in the film in the longer cut where there are these great photos of the, 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 you know how you normally get the touts outside who are selling tickets or they're selling yeah, yeah. posters or t-shirts. Scalpers, we call them the here, yeah. Merchandise. Yeah. Right, they had a guy who was selling unibrows outside their gig. <laughs> oh. oh and it's great. And then, and then a shot of them indoors and they bought the unibrows and they were wearing them backstage before they went on set. Yeah. On stage. So. They kept the tradition <laughs> yeah. going from uh, the artist uh, Frida to the Gallagher brothers. It's yeah. like, who's next? Who's going to yeah. take the mantle? Anthony Davis in the NBA. A there basketball player here <laughs> right. has a great one. <laughs> Uh, we don't want to keep you too long because we do appreciate I just have one or two questions left. Is it safe to say that their own hubris is what garnered their ascension and ultimately is what brought them down? The, the arrogance and yeah, all of it? I suppose so. I suppose so. that makes sense. I mean, definitely it's what, it's what lends them their, you know, what I guess made them ha happen as quickly as they did. They had this self-belief. But the problem is that's great when you're the underdog. But when you actually, when you've taken over the whole world, people don't like it very much anymore. I mean, they, they, before they were even, you know, they'd even been signed, they were telling everyone they were the greatest band in the world, which is very sweet and endearing when you, when you don't have a manager and you don't have a label and you don't have any money. But when you've got more money than anyone and you're saying the greatest band in the world is less attractive, I guess. So there's that element. <laughs> yeah. And I think also just the, you know, the friction of the, of the two brothers, that's what made them so engaging, what made people love them and, and brought them to this amazing music. But I think also... The friction just meant that they couldn't last the whole, you know, last the whole ten rounds together. It's just never going to happen. You know, they lasted a pretty decent amount of time compared to the way that most people thought they would just fall apart after a couple of years. But you know, it's just it's, it was hard, and I think towards the end it seemed to get very bitter. Yeah. Do you 
it, will there be like a, a Blu-ray that comes out with a lot more bonus footage or extra scenes? Steve wants the eight-hour documentary I, I would, more than uh, look, anything. When I, saw, when I was in the movie theater, I saw the two hours. I was like, more, more, more. There's got to be more. Keep it's feeding not over. me. Yeah. You're, you're a very sweet man. I hope so. I mean, the, the tricky thing is, so um, the only the problem with the music documentaries are very expensive because as soon as you start adding more time, then you add more songs. Songs are incredibly expensive. And then... Once you have more footage, you've got to pay people a decent rate. So that's that's the that's the tricky thing because the eight-hour cut has a lot more of everything, but obviously it's four times more expensive than the film we already made. And then the uh, the other thing is the interviews. I mean, we did all these great interviews. At the very least, I'd love to try and release those. I mean, I always thought you know, a bit like they did with the Bill Hicks uh, book, where maybe you could do the transcripts of them with some because the photographers that they kept, they travelled around with were amazing right. as well. So maybe release something like that, or even just do it as a podcast. I don't know. Thing is, I always have all these ideas. You know, everyone assumes that directors are important people, and they can just say something and it happens. But I have ideas like this all the time. <laughs> everyone just rolls their eyes and you know, puts the phone down. So <laughs> you never know. But I think that there's the appetite is there with uh, yeah. with the fans. That's oh yeah. I think that people people want to see more of this. So I'd love to put it out there if we can. This this the I I just have one la- like two quick questions. Okay. Sure. <laughs> Why do you think they're still relevant? Why are they still as popular today as they were 20-plus years ago? It's like people are still fascinated with these guys. They are. I mean, it's, it's a really good question. And I suppose, and we didn't know that necessarily going in. And obviously, the, you know, Oasis fans are probably more passionate than any other band's fans in the world, certainly in this country. But when we were trying to raise the money, you know, that's the first question. Everyone, well, will anyone come and see it? It's been 20 years. You know, this is a band from the past. But people are still interested and we've been so pleasantly rewarded by the, the reaction from fans and even from people who didn't know the band that well, new generations. So it's been, it's been great. And I guess, you know, it'd be hard to put your finger on it, but my, my instinct is that the music industry now, the way that we listen to music, it's become kind of, it feels very sanitized and very corporate and very beige. And the way that we, the way we listen to music is very, it's almost become a commodity. You know, I've got, I have access now within seconds to every single piece of recorded music in history. In the old days, I had like three records at home, and now I've got everything. And I'm right. not happy, and I kind of like, I can't find the music that I want. Whereas in the old days, I used to listen to one band, two bands, and they were like my football team. That was they were part of my DNA. And so I don't quite know why, but I feel like maybe the Oasis represent that sense of freedom and that spirit and the anarchy and the kind of two fingers up to establishment that doesn't seem to be what music is about anymore yeah like and you know why why is it that people watch films and make films uh about crime and about you know kind of uh about bonnie and clyde and about gangsters because they somehow represent people who break the system we're all kind of Mm -hmm. constrained by the nine to five and musicians took that role over and it's like they were the guys who didn't play by the rules but now actually a lot of musicians are kind of businessmen and they feel very safe and corporate and i wonder if you know people want things to go back to the way that they were in the <laughs> 70s, 80s, and 90s, where people like Oasis just didn't care. I think knowing what we know now, we do want to go back. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, I know it's about time. There needs to be a revolution. Yeah. Well, this is the last question. Uh, of course, everybody always says, when are they getting together? Are they going to get together? Do you What's feel... the address? Can I be there? <laughs> yeah. But do you feel, <laughs> as a fan of the Beatles, you know, the Beatles never got together. It almost helped propel and made something enticing about their legacy. Do you feel 
it would be a good idea for them to get together? Or do you think it's it's better off that they never get together because we captured that moment. They'll never capture it again. It's a moment in time that you can never recreate. What is your opinion right. on 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 a possible reunion? And of course, the inevitable question, do you think it will happen? Well, it's a, it's a really good question. And, and everyone, everyone, I, mean, I know you guys probably know more than I do. You know, I don't think like I've, I've spent time with them. And from what I could, what I hoped during the course of making the film was like, well, look, they're spending more time talking about each other. They're spending more time reminiscing about the good times, the things, which is maybe gradually this might provoke them into maybe even picking up the phone once and having a chat. But if anything, it seems to have done the opposite and kind of, you know, pushed them further apart because they've been pretty vocal about their, their, each other's uh, problems and faults. My, my feeling, I mean, the Beatles thing, it's difficult, isn't it? You know, I remember like as a, as a film fan, whenever someone would adapt a book, and they make a film, you know, some kind of, uh, you know, you do whatever it is, whether it's everything from Harry Potter to any film, any film that's been made of a book you can think of. Everyone's like, oh, it's ruined the book now. And I never felt that. I always felt like, well, let's go back to the book. You don't have to, you don't have to, to, to watch this film. And I kind of feel the same way with fans. It's like, well, look, if, if you feel the sex business should never reform, don't go and see them. Right. You know, or The Cure or Stone Roses. But I get that sense of kind of, you know, everyone loves the poetry of those early years. And, and, and I loved, we have that sentiment in our film that Bonehead says, look, maybe we should just quit while we we're ahead and we would have been the greatest band of all time. And it's right. like, we just, like, imagine the, the balls of it and the, the poetry of just saying, right, that's it, we're done. Yeah. But on the other hand, we would have missed out on so much more. And I don't, I can't imagine anyone, that then anyone in the band would have wanted to do it at that point. You know, what, you, there's always another gig, there's always another album. So I don't know, but I personally, I feel selfishly, I would love to see them again because I love I love seeing them live and I also and, and they're young so it doesn't feel like you know they'd be doing it they're not in their seventies they've got there's no Zimmer frames on stage and I also feel like there's just that part of me that know, now knowing them and knowing their family and brother and mum and so on it's like I just feel even if they never pick up a guitar again together just at least they should just be in each other's lives be buddies you know? yeah you know, it feels yeah. like it's got to happen at some point um, what is next for you Matt. Well, we've got. I'm, I'm traveling with Coldplay at the moment. Uh, we're doing we're doing a, a part of their tour, the Head Full of Dreams tour. So I've been filming with them for many years uh, since before they were even in a band. Uh, we were all at uni together. Nice. So I, we don't really know what it's going to be. We just kind of keep on filming. So that's good. <laughs> Every so often, I'll just check in with them and we'll, we'll go touring for a bit. And then uh, we're hoping the next film will be uh, about Brian Epstein, the Beatles manager. Oh wow! Drama. Jeez, fascinating. Should be really. That's very exciting. So we're kind of looking at casting for that now. Um, so yeah, fingers crossed that'll be the next thing. But I never seem to be able to predict what I'm doing next because I always get it wrong and always. Turn, I never thought the Oasis film Supersonic would be the next film we're doing, but it it worked out great. Wow. Well, we are big fans. Well done. Can't wait to see what you got going on next. And if you ever make it out to Los Angeles as the great film director that you are, please <laughs> hit me up. And you got a night out at the Comedy Store on me. We'd love to get you ripped. And cannot <laughs> thank you again, Matt. Honestly, for taking the That'd time. Be amazing. I follow Thanks you so on much, Twitter. Guys. I see all the interviews you're doing, and you're so invested in getting the word out about this film. We'll do what we can on our end over here across the Bless pond. You. Thanks so much. Thanks, Thanks man. Thanks for having me on. Take Thanks, care, man. pal. Bye, buddy. Take it easy. Bye. All right. Bye. Awesome. Yeah. That is crazy. Couldn't have been nicer. How crazy is it that you can just get people on podcasts like that? <laughs> well, I follow him on Twitter. I wrote him on Twitter. It's I'm great. like, hey, would you like to come on? He's like, yeah. Yeah, okay. Like, when? You're the director of... <laughs> Probably a documentary that I will I will watch at least another fifty or sixty times. Yeah. 
Unbelievable. That's great. That was awesome. Cool. And it was so great to hear, but it, I think it's like, I think he really is saying what every fan is saying is like, look, if you don't get the band together, at least can you guys just go bowling or something? Yeah. Just get to, I don't know, it's kind of sad in that way. You know, it 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 really is. At, but at at some point, I mean that that's the problem with friction is that there it's it gets so much harder to thaw the longer you leave it because then you're like your life is fine without that person, so you're like whatever. But they, there has to be a time when these two just oh, I mean even if they just get together to fight again. Yeah, yeah, I did see that. <laughs> Spend an afternoon <laughs> arguing. Well, uh, this is the thing I uh, you know, and I I think when you're interviewing, you never want to. I, I try not to interject. I just, it's yeah. like our time is so limited. I just want to pepper them with questions. Yeah. But I grew up in a day where every, all the like the cool kids loved Radiohead. Yeah. And like people that could throw a spiral football mm-hmm. liked Oasis. Right. <laughs> like myself. <laughs> and I fucking never understood Radiohead. It's just like the critics loved them, but people loved Oasis. And the the chin strokers loved Radiohead. And it just like I never been to an Irish pub where a group of people oh, put in a can't. dollar to play Radiohead. No. People played Oasis I... <laughs> and everybody's singing Wonderwall. I saw, it's the fucking best. I saw a guy do a song from OK Computer Radiohead's album at, at karaoke, and yeah. it was one of the more mind bending experiences of my life. It was like, what is happening here? <laughs> it's like that art student that yeah. is it's just like nobody gives a fuck. I'm a Banksy. yeah uh did you ever see them live oasis yeah never live no here's the thing about them i love them right i go see them they just stand there and they just play the music yeah and the audience goes crazy and i never understood i thought you think he'd tap his foot or something and in the dock liam gallagher goes i would just sit there and watch the audience and i'd be so still and i just thought this is the fucking greatest thing ever. Yeah. And it just like, I always thought they were just being arrogant to her, but you realize she's just appreciating the moment, I guess, over and over and over again. Yeah. Which is, I don't know. I never heard a rock star say something like that. Before. You should start doing your stand-up the way he sang. With my hands behind hands my behind back. Hands behind your back, never touch the mic, just sort of dip around, do your bitch. Arch back. Yeah. <laughs> my wife and I were on a walk the other day. <laughs> I think somebody is... Oh, boy. Oh, gosh. I think we have another phone call oh, um it's it's not the thing is it the human thing <sighs> see that on. sigh listen to I that think, sigh. Uh, i think somebody wants to call in oh, and say hello is it is it the can man there's only the can man can there's only the can man can <laughs> hey steve it's gary he sent me a text message it said hey do you want to watch a scary movie tonight oh god which made me laugh oh god then he texted me he texted me on friday oh we didn't talk about the flight he texted me on friday and he said hey sorry about the low numbers this week i didn't reply which was followed by sorry that text always automatically sends oh i was on that on week i was on that uh hello hello gary yes gary cannon (laughs) yes Hello? <laughs> yes. Hi. Hey, are you in studio right now? Yes. Are you on the air right now? Yes. Well, listen, I got word from a few friends of mine that work over at the All Things Comedy Building that you guys were doing a podcast today. I don't understand. 
I'm usually the sidekick. What's going on? Why are you there? Well, you it's know your role. Podcast yeah, talk about knowing your role. Yeah. <laughs> Not a lot of I'm side the sidekick. Kick. A lot of people would go with co-host. Yeah. <laughs> well, I understand. Well, Gareth Reynolds has been my co-host today because you're in New York City doing the Conan thing. So I thought, well, we need one this week anyway. So I interviewed a prominent film director, and we had a blast. Okay. Thank you, Gareth Reynolds, for being Some here. Some people are calling it the best episode ever. I don't yeah. know. I don't want to. I'm just looking at I'm just scrolling through the tweets right now, and it is just There's trending. a natural chemistry yeah. that we share. Well, listen. And Gareth's Gareth funny, which is great. Gareth's a very popular podcast. I know this to be fact because he just told me last weekend when we worked together, his apartment doesn't have any heat. And so that's the sign, obviously, of a successful podcast. That's clearly bringing in money. You, you, really, you, know. you really are the honey badger. You're just having you a nice conversation. <laughs> you How is that possible? Gary, you have a, you have a Donkey Kong game yeah. in your home. Why a grown you, man. Why are you why are you turning this back on me? That's not fair. Because you turned it. You turned sense. it first. The ta- you turned the table we were all just sitting at, as you usually saying, do. I'm just saying, I guarantee you, Joe Rogan has heat. I guarantee you, Joe Rogan has heat in his apartment. And I, also, I, I also guarantee you that he doesn't have a video game from 1982 in his living room. Can we... That has no room switch, for it. I just want to switch... It's an Ottoman, too. It's an Ottoman, it's an Ottoman Donkey Kong machine. Gary's a 48-year-old panty sniffer. I know that for a fact. I love, <laughs> I love the lollipop uh, podcast. It's great. It's, like, it's, it's called the dollar. <laughs> Let me just say something, Steve. I want to say, tell Jess, thank you. Uh, Gareth, I know that you got your, your money from DC when we did uh, DC, which was a complete bust a couple of weeks ago. And I just want to thank Jess because I didn't realize that you could actually send change in the mail. So thank you for that. Um, Gary, don't get I upset at me because you're not good enough for Graham Elwood, okay? Excuse <laughs> me? You, you heard what I said. <laughs> hey, the lollipop was on the LA Podcast. Dollop. They it's called it. the Dollop, Gary. Oh, you know that. Okay? You know the that. Dollipop. You I know that. The Dollipop. The Dollipop. Gary, you might have just uh, gotten us some merchandise. And merchandise is, I know you're not familiar with that term. <laughs> That's what people will sell at shows when people will come to see them. Stuff like that. That's Merch what you sell from Ralphie. Oh, yeah, that's what you... That's what you exchange for sexual favors, remember? Merchandise. But, but the, what, what do you do in Steve's case when nobody comes to the show? <laughs> then how does the merchandise I mean, work? it's just such a dead dead dog. It just... You just how was it. what Steve, what? can I just ask you something completely unrelated? How was Wes Nyack this weekend? Be completely honest. I have the texts. I have the texts. <laughs> <laughs> see, see what I mean? See what I mean? What's, it was dead. It was, yeah. it was not Halloween weekend. Yeah. The mall was dead. The shows were... It wasn't, it wasn't great, yeah. But it was fun. The crowds are fun. People that were there. So you're saying if like a Daniel Tosh showed up in West Nyack over the weekend, it would still be dead. You're kind of breaking up, Gary. The self self reception isn't really good. It's such a shame, too, because this was the momentum. I'm a big fan of the Dolly Pop, so just know that I've been listening Catching up on all the episodes is great. What's your favorite? What's your cartoon magazine to come out? What's your favorite? Can you tell? What? No, no, keep murdering us. Keep assassinating. What, Gary? Did you tell um, (sighs) your your guy today that you like to uh, get drunk and then throw on the Wonderwall song? No. Did you tell him how much that song means to you? Oh, you didn't tell him that? No. What what is your favorite band, Gary? My favorite? I'd probably say the Go Go's. (laughs) Because <laughs> oh, oh. their lips are sealed. Uh, I've heard you know that. Well, <laughs> we're gonna. Uh, we're gonna. <laughs> uh, so you're you're opening for Conan this week at the Apollo, we're in New York at the Apollo. It's gonna be great. 
fun. And how is it staying? Uh, how is it staying in Parsippany this week? Because I'm sure Conan <laughs> and the crew are staying in Manhattan. Where are you staying? Yeah. How bad is the commute in the Hyundai that you had to rent for yourself? <laughs> I'm staying in uh, West Nyack. It was absolutely empty okay. this weekend, so I was able to get in and out. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's going to be – Owen uh, is there this weekend, so it's going to be two dead weekends back-to-back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, Gary, Sorry. have Sorry, fun Colin. in New York City. Run. No, Gary, we have to go. Thank you for checking in. And, uh, Gareth, anytime you need uh, another guest on the, uh, the Dolly Pop, I would love to do it. All right. That's not what it's called. Not what it's called. Anytime. Not and and listen, I know how successful it is because obviously, you know, no heat, no running water. Uh, you're living oh, I have no God. running water now. <laughs> I have no running water now. Right. Okay. That's a great neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. No, thanks. Yeah, so. I love that. Love that area. Yeah. No parking. That's, that's another good sign. Well, that's how you know All you're right, in a, that's how go. you know you're in a terrible area when no one wants to be there, Gary, and there's no parking. <laughs> no parking. Well, what are you what? gonna do? What? All right, I gotta go, guys. I know, we now. have to go, Gary. Yeah. Go back to your pizza. No, yeah, pizza and pudding. I yeah. guarantee that's what's that's what's yeah. sitting on your desk right go, now. All, go back to your cot and eat the pudding. <laughs> all things comedy. Take care, guys. All right. <laughs> oh, God, the fucking worst. It's I fucking tough. Hate He's him. tough. He's tough. At Canon Comedy, um, mm, that's right. the funniest joke. What do you uh? What do you want to plug? Where can I find uh, it? You can listen to the Dollop podcast. Uh, that we'll be doing a little uh, tour over Thanksgiving weekland, weekend, weekend, and weekend. We're gonna go to Weekland for the weekend. Uh, we'll be in Portland, Seattle, and San Francisco doing three live podcasts. You can find all that information at dolloppodcast.com. And then I'll be with Steve Byrne. Uh, he's a comedian friend of mine. Yeah, we'll be. Uh, where are we gonna be? In we'll St. Be in Louis? Calgary. Calgary this Louis. weekend. St. Louis. Irvine. Irvine. Uh, La Jolla. La Jolla. Oh, boy. Dallas. Dallas is coming. Hope yeah. he doesn't clog no, another and, toilet. No, and Dallas, I think. Oh, and Dallas, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and Dallas. Yeah. Um, so, Supersonic, director, Matt Whitecross, thank you so much for calling in. You got to check out this doc if you are a fan, if you're a casual fan, if you like documentaries. If you're a brother, if you're a younger brother, older brother, if you have a dysfunctional family, if you like rock and roll, if you like fun. Watch it. It's awesome. We're on tour. Thank you.